Hello. Hello, is this uh, Megan McInerney? Uh, yes. This is Pizza Hut calling with your pizza. <laughs> Still good? My pineapple pizza. <laughs> calling about your pineapple pizza, ma'am. Just calling to let you know we think it's disgusting and we won't deliver it. What, what, what are you doing? Uh, we're working on a Mother's Day episode, and I thought I would just call you and talk about mom because I tried to call her, and it goes straight to voicemail every single time. Oh, I'm pretty sure she has you blocked. <laughs> <laughs> I think she does. Yeah, I think she does. I'm Nora McInerney, and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking. And yes, this coming weekend is Mother's Day, FYI. It's a day when kids who are children wake their moms up early to deliver a, at best, strange, and at worst, bad breakfast in the least appealing place to eat, your bed, in my opinion. And then they just watch her. While she eats. Or even weirder, they just sort of leave you alone to eat just the cereal parts of the Lucky Charms because they ate the marshmallows and like a crust of toast. Dry. No butter. Coffee, which is impressive that they brewed it themselves. Just kidding, my husband did that. It's a day when kids who are grown ups send flowers or they take their mom to like a really expensive brunch. It's, it's just expensive, not good. It's just like the same brunch you could get any other day, but it's like twice as much. Or they completely forget about it, and then in the afternoon, send a text that's like, oh, ha- have, oh, weird, this text didn't send earlier. That ever happened to you, Mom? Man, technology. Love you. Happy Mother's Day. So that's the joy of motherhood. And a lot of us get through motherhood by telling stories about it. We learn what to do. We learn what not to do. And eventually, maybe we get to laugh at the times that we panicked, at the times that we really fudged up, and hopefully understand that it's like this game that we're all winging at all times. (laughs) Anyway, the stories of our moms and our stories as moms, those are the things that will be repeated at weddings, family gatherings, funerals. So for this episode... We asked for mom stories of all types. We asked you, our people, to tell us your greatest mom stories. Times you freaked out. Times your mom lost it. Times you guys all messed up. Holy diapers, did you deliver? So to get us started, I think maybe I will share just a little tidbit from my own life. A few weeks ago, as a cool mom, I told my kids they could draw on their bedroom walls. It's their room. Why do I care? One of our children had already taken a Sharpie and wandered through our home, adding his decorating flourishes to plenty of surfaces in our home. So told the two younger ones, your walls are yours and you can use your writing utensils on them. And then in turn, I asked that you don't do that anywhere else in the house. And they were like, deal. So they just stayed in that dirty room where they had access to markers and crayons and colored pencils. And I walked in 
and found an entire room decorated with penises. Everywhere, penises jumping out of boxes, um, peeing into buckets, disembodied penises floating on the wall with smiley faces, just happy to be here. And, <laughs> and it was very funny. And I'm also trying to raise kids who aren't like ashamed of their bodies or ashamed of sex or, you know, can't say the word penis. But also we cannot have a penis room in our home. That's just not the kind of home I want to live in. So it was real balance trying to respond to that. And I tried to express that respectfully. And one of my children said, why not? They're funny looking and you don't even have one. And that is something I could not argue with. So the penis wall remains. I was making some chicken noodle soup and I was strutting up the chicken and my little guy knows just when I'm distracted. I was noticing that it was very quiet, which I should have realized earlier was very dangerous. And I had come around the corner to our brand new couches and saw that my three-year-old had taken, there he is right there, (laughs) taken diaper cream and had smeared it all over our couch, all over the hair of our black cat and all over himself. And not only that, he had the diaper cream in all of the orifices of himself and the cat. It was a mess. Diaper cream does not come out with a bath. So despite trying to hold the cat underwater to wash him, it did not work. It was a disaster. And yeah. He shows no sign of stopping. Okay, so we have a picture of this on our Instagram, and you're going to love it because um, if you are feeling bad about the condition of your furniture, seeing someone else's couch covered in diaper cream is really going to brighten your day. For those of you who have not been around diaper cream since you were in diapers, it doesn't come out of anything ever. I'm guessing this cat will be just coated in diaper cream for the rest of its life. I was at a really important planning meeting for work that went into the evening. So my husband was home with the kids and I get a phone call and I delete it. I'm with like all the big wigs of the school district I work for. And then it rings again. And again, I hit ignore. It rings again. And I step out of the meeting and I answer the phone and it's my husband. And he says, um, I'm a little worried about Isaac. I might need your help. And I said, is he okay? And he's like, well, he's okay. He has an angel food cake pan on his head. And I didn't understand. Is it stuck on a hat as a hat? Is it stuck on his ear? Like what happened? Come to find out. My daughter and him were playing with the pots and pans, and she took the insert out of the angel food cake pan, slipped it over his head. It is now resting on my two-year-old son's shoulders, and his head has gone completely through the hole, 
And when you go to lift it up, it will not come up over his chin and his nose. And so he is stuck in the cake pan, trying to play but can't really move very well. I leave this meeting. I get home to find my parents had been called by my husband. In the meantime, he is holding a tin snips. My husband is holding my child and they are cutting the angel food cake pan off of my son, which is stuck around his neck and shoulders. My mother was in the other room with my daughter, like bear hugging her, holding her as though she's a weighted blanket over my daughter because she's freaking out thinking she hurt her brother drastically. In the end, all were okay. Nobody got hurt by the tin snips nor the angel cake food pan. There was just a little bit of a sore mm, ego of the big sister. Oh, that's perfect. I cannot believe her dad basically used the jaws of life to <laughs> from the cake pan. Oh, also, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not the only one who hits ignore the first time my husband calls me. Like, uh, can't be that important. Can't be important. Sorry. I'm at work. Okay, play me another. <laughs> when my son was about three and we were living in Northern California, we were at the Monterey Bay Aquarium on vacation. And at a restaurant, there were some seals near the dock where the restaurant was. And my son was so excited about the seals, he did not notice that he completely crapped his pants, like down to his ankles. It was a horrific mess, and we were in a public restroom. And uh, I had to clean him up. And so there I was in a public toilet stall with my hand in a public toilet, rinsing out some underwear He's screaming and full of poop. I'm screaming and freaking out about the poop. And I come out of the stall and there's a mom there with her daughter who's like about maybe eight. And she turns to me and she goes, it it gets better. And I said, oh, God, I hope so. <sighs> oh, God, I don't know what you do. I don't you just do something. You do, I've been wrapping him in like a garbage bag. Like, tied it off at the ankles, like a little dress. Oh, like a little toga made out of an extra trash bag. Maybe, a, maybe like, a little toga made out of... I'm really into... The only answer is a toga. <laughs> made out of whatever materials are in the bathroom. Oh, my God, I salute you. That's horrifying. When I was about 16, 15, 16, my mom and I switched bedrooms in our house. We had a tiny house, and she decided she wanted to sleep downstairs. So I moved into the room upstairs, and there was this big, um, like, built-in bed with all these drawers underneath. And one day I was looking through the drawers, and there was this um, little bag. It's, like, one of those bags that was meant to keep, like, a flat iron in. And I opened it, and there was a gigantic, like, vibrating dildo with, like, the bunny ears and everything. And I was mortified. But I decided to just put it away and not say anything until... About three months later, we were having a giant fight, and she was like, go to your room, and I go, I'll just get your gigantic effing dildo out from under my bed first, and we never spoke about it again. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Oh my god, that's such a good comeback. 
Oh, God, I saw that coming. The moment she was like, it looked like it could have a flat iron in it. I was like, don't open it. <laughs> don't open it. Your mom is just a person. <laughs> that was great. Well, back when my daughter Kaylin was very small, maybe about three, she was deathly afraid of alligators. Mm. I was probably five. No, okay, okay, five, three, whatever. You were young, <laughs> and uh, I was old yeah. enough to know better, mm-hmm. but I didn't stop. And I thought it would be funny to tell her that our dachshund was really an alligator dressed in a dog suit. Mm-hmm. And she was smart enough not to believe me until I showed her the places on the dog's fur that came together and told her those were the seams. And <laughs> of the costume. Was, yeah, yeah, of the costume yeah. of the dog that was really an alligator inside. So, just for context, we did live in South Florida where um, alligators were pretty prevalent. We would see them sometimes on the side of the road um, looking like strips of tire here. So this was not entirely outside the realm of possibility. Yeah, that's true. Uh-huh. And, and I was five years old, also very gullible, which didn't help things. Why, why, did, why did you do this? Why did you do this? There was no reason other than just to be horrible. <laughs> I was just being horrible, and I wouldn't let it go, and she would get so upset, and I still did it. When when did you figure out that I was not quite honest about this? Well, being the scientific kid that I was, I didn't have a way to rule out for sure that our dog was not an alligator, and the horrible thing is I was thinking, well, my mom told me this, so why would this not be true? <laughs> Sometimes we lie to our kids for no reason other than to just entertain ourselves, and sometimes we lie to get what we want. I'm not saying it's okay, I'm just saying, yeah, I do sometimes tell my younger children that as soon as they go to bed, I go to bed. That's what happens, because I wish I could go to bed at 7 p.m., but in reality, most nights, I am living their worst nightmare. I put them to bed, and I watch TV, and I eat candy. She left my brother and I as kids with my grandparents for the week, and she went on a camping trip with my dad and their friends up to Duluth, Minnesota, I'm pretty sure. And they called me from the road. I think my mom was just checking in, and I was super homesick. I wanted her to come home so badly, and I begged her to come back. She told me that they can't turn the car around because the car was on autopilot. And if you try to turn around a car when it's on autopilot, it will explode. And of course, that freaked me the F out. And I was like, no, 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 don't do that. You know, I was crying. And I don't think I really knew that cars wouldn't explode from turning around when they're on autopilot or cruise control or whatever you want to call it until I was like a teenager. Hello. Hi, Sherry. It's uh, your your daughter-in-law, Nora McInerney, calling. Hi. How are you? How, I'm good. How are you? Good. Welcome to Terrible. Thanks for asking. I'm calling to get some feedback. Mother's Day is coming up, and I was wondering if you could describe the kind of mom I am. Um, free and open. Um, loves kids. Ready to tackle anything. 
Wow, you're being so nice to me. I love this. I also want you to give me some feet. Like, what are things I don't do very well? Sometimes forgets where they are and when she's supposed to pick them up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This uh-huh. is all accurate. This is good. This is good. Younger children, it's hard for you to not feel guilty if you have to discipline. That's true. Also, yes. God, it's so hard when they're totally losing their minds. And that's exactly when you don't give in. Uh, or you do, but oh, you're not Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, it's so hard. Uh, it is hard, but it pays off. So my sister and I grew up living with my mom in northwest Wisconsin, which means we had a pretty big backyard. There were woods right at the end. We had a bird feeder right by the woods. And my sister had this irrational fear of black bears. Anytime she took a step outside, a black bear was just going to come get her and take her away. And one day she was throwing the temper tantrum of all temper tantrums. Like she was screaming, crying. My mom couldn't get her to calm down. No consequences were working. Um, timeouts, taking things away, trying to talk with her, rationalize with her. And my mom, who is a small human being, like she, I think she's 4'11", not even five feet tall, dragged my sister outside by the bird feeder, which is right next to the woods, sat my sister down at the bird feeder, told her to stay there and not get up, turned back around and walked into the house while my sister was screaming, no, mom, the black bears are going to get me, mom. And my mom goes over to the phone and she calls our neighbors, who we were pretty close friends with, and she said, hi, sorry if you hear screaming. Hannah's in a timeout right now next to the bird feeder. So when my son was less than two years old, he was so cute, and um, my husband and I went out, we had a few cocktails, and we came back, and my son was looking so cute, and he was sleeping, and like, oh, he's so cute, I want to bite him, and I bit him, (laughs) and and he cried, and it was not my best mommy moment, but at the time, it was terrible, but now thinking back, that was, well, still thinking back, it was terrible even then, but we kind of joke about it now. I mean, they are, they're very biteable, and it is, it's hard not to do it. It's hard not to do it, but I think a little drinking does make it easier to break down those, those barriers. <laughs> oh, jeez. I was house-sitting for my mom in Arizona, where we have lots of creepy-crawly creatures that come out, and I was giving my daughter a bath, and she was around, I'd say two, to make me feel like a less shitty person. So I'm giving her a bath, everything is going great, when I feel something brush up against my leg. I think it's one of the dogs, and I shoo them away. I feel it again, and I'm like, oh my gosh, leave me alone trying to do this. And I feel it yet again, and I look down, and there is the biggest spider crawling up my leg. This fucking spider was easily the size of my palm, and I panicked, swatted it away, and instinctively ran out of the bathroom got into the living room crying hysterically because I have horrible arachnophobia and then immediately realized I had left my child not only in the bathtub alone, but in the bathtub alone with the giant spider. 
so that I very quickly ran back into the bathtub. She's completely fine. Thank God I had been gone a total of like three seconds and scoop her out of the bathtub and immediately run into a bedroom and barricade ourselves in there. Um, it's hard to think of one moment with my mom that really stands out, but when I was first learning how to drive, she asked me if I wanted to pull the big family van into the garage, and she stood at one end with holding a hula hoop, saying, aim for the hoop. She had told me I shouldn't even need to use any gas, just let off the brake and roll in. But as soon as I got over the edge of the concrete, I did need to give it some gas and once I gave it a little gas it was time to push the brake again except my foot was still on the gas pedal and completely lurched the family van right through the back wall of the garage and I'm still not exactly sure how she got out of the way in time (laughs) but it was many many days of hard work Um, my parents actually had me help rebuild the back wall of the garage and get everything back in working order. I wouldn't say that I'm bitter, but my mom had a habit of racing to everything. It seemed like we were involved in so many activities as kids that we were just constantly speeding around to get somewhere. And one of these particular afternoons, she picked us up from school and I warned her as I was getting in the car that I had to go to the bathroom. And she said, we don't have time. Away we went, down to Minneapolis for prestigious ballet class. And we're running up the stairs and I really feel I have to go to the bathroom. And again, she tells me, we don't have time, we're late. At which point I get into class and we begin doing plies to the music. Plie one, plie two, plie P. <laughs> All over the floor. And everyone's looking at me standing in a puddle of pee in the middle of the floor. So yes, I've forgiven my mother for that, but Never went back to ballet class ever again. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back with more mom stuff. And we are back. For women, we learn about our bodies from our mothers and our friends and I guess ourselves, but a lot from our mothers. We learn from the things that they tell us and the things that they don't tell us, but tell themselves and don't realize that we're listening. And what we learn is so subjective. It depends on our mother, on her own relationship to her body and to us and to our body. It depends on what she learned and who taught her. It is. Ooh, that's a 
it's a lot. When I was a young adolescent and I woke up one morning and outside my door was the Lifecycle Library, which was a box set of four slim volumes that were, to me, both mortifying and hilarious. And um, they were how I learned about the changes that my body was going through. And for years I laughed about that and how funny it was to me that nobody spoke a word to me, for God forbid. And later as an adult, really kind of realizing that I think the reason it showed up at my door and no one spoke to me is because I don't think my mom was able to speak about things related to sexuality and and bodies. I think she had been too injured by her own experience to be able to do that with me in person. And I don't know if that's true. I don't know how to test that at this point because I lost her eight years ago to breast cancer. Um, but I, I do regret that I can't have that conversation with my mom as an adult. When I was a teenager and had my serious boyfriend, rather than sit me down and check in with me, she <laughs> cornered me in the car as I was getting out to go to work. And she turns to me and she goes, if you're having sex, you better get on birth control because if you got pregnant, your dad would die. And I was like, okay. But I have to give her credit. It worked. I totally got on birth control that day. So growing up, my mom always told me I had not a great nose. She said, if only I could get a quick nose job, just something really simple, that I would look good. So I grew up just feeling like an ugly person. Beyond my nose, I had really messed up teeth as well. Um, and my parents wouldn't pay for braces. So. Once I moved out of the house and I went to college, I went to, um, or I got a minimum wage job, um, and I made tiny payments on braces to get um, my teeth fixed. After that, I kept saving up money uh, to get my nose fixed because, you know, ultimately I wanted to look like a normal person, um, which I felt like I didn't look like. Eventually, I got pregnant. I had kids, I got married, and just recently I saved up enough money on my own to pay for the surgery, and I actually got the surgery about three weeks ago, and I'm really happy with it. I think it looks good, but by the same token, I just, I feel kind of like garbage that um, I felt like I had to get this surgery to be okay with myself. Um, I feel confident now. I have confidence that I didn't have before, but it seemed so extreme that I had to um, have surgery on my face to do it. Now I see my kids and I see my daughter and she has a similar nose to the one I had and I think she looks beautiful. And I just wish that my own mother accepted me 
the way that I was. So we learn shame from our parents, too, not just our moms. Let's be let's be fair here. And we experience shame as moms Ooh, as soon as we start before we start even we are ashamed of how we might be fudging up strangers, comment on what we eat while we're pregnant, or comment on why we're not pregnant yet. Are we going to have kids? When? When? People tell us to put hats on our babies when it's like it's like 70 degrees. This baby's fine. Any potential misstep. It doesn't get easier, by the way, after their babies. Any potential misstep, especially if it's witnessed by another mom. It just carries a lot of weight. And Kayla knows this. When my son Levi was in second grade, I was working overnights at Walmart. And I (laughs) went and checked out. I got off at 7 a.m. And it was his day to bring snacks. So I grabbed some snack cakes and went and checked out and just grabbed a couple other things, you know, that I would normally grab. And so I went home and I had forgot that I had some other things in the bag with the snack cakes. So I just threw his, you know, the Walmart bag with the cakes in his backpack and said, don't forget to give them to your teacher. And a few hours later, you know, I was sleeping because I worked overnight. So I woke up and I had a missed call from the school and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, leave us sick or something. So I called the school back and they said, "Um, Kayla, you have sent cigarettes to school with Levi with his snack for the day and I was like so mortified and so I felt so terrible and she said you have to come up here and pick them up and so I thought I felt horrible until I got to the school and went in the office to get them and like the look of shame and and embarrassment from the (laughs) from the office, you know, administrator was just like, oh my God, it was the worst feeling in the world. It was horrible. One time my uh, great aunt, who lived very close to me, so we went to her house all the time growing up. It was like six blocks away. She packed me a lunch for a softball game or something. And uh, I got to softball. I ate my sandwich. She had included a pop, which was a big deal. Don't get pop all the time. Crack that seven up. Take a swig. It's a Mickey's malt liquor. <laughs> I'm just a fifth grader opening up a malt liquor on the softball field. I was like, the seven up. Is it generic? Why does it taste so bad? <laughs> yeah. And uh, the coach was one of those real perfect stay at home moms. She was like, just really pretty and um and and so were her kids and she looked at me like I was a raging alcoholic <laughs> who brought a malt liquor on purpose. So uh good story. Good story, Kayla. You're you're doing okay. I had been told my whole life that I couldn't have a baby. And then my husband and I still tried for two years unsuccessfully until we miraculously had our first kid. And so I am understating things significantly when I tell you that I was really overprotective of her as a baby. 
One time when she was about 18 months old, she was learning how to go up and down the stairs. And so I did this really careful thing where like we'd sit on the top step together and then we'd scoot down on our butts step by step. And one night we did just that. We sat at the top of the steps and she started scooting before I could scoot next to her. And I, some, oh, something happened and she slipped and I tried to grab her and I remember the feeling of her shirt passing through my fingers as she slid face up, head first, down the entire flight of wooden stairs. I mean, she was fine. She was 100% fine, but I screamed like actual blood-curdling murder movie scream for the next two hours. So one thing that I did when I was little, you're going to remember the story, was I was in Girl Scouts, right? Right. The time you hosted, I decided with a friend who shall remain nameless. Yeah. That we were gonna hide. Like, oh my god, this would be so funny if we just like hid and then like everyone was like, oh my god, where are we? And then they would, like come looking for us and then we'd like come out. You know, it was a big group of girls. It was at least like, I don't know, 12 or, you know, and yeah, I was in charge of the meeting and I'm pretty sure there wasn't another mom. It was just me. So towards the end of the meeting, we went in the back closet where they had like the extra chairs but everyone like shut the door and like we heard everybody leave and we were like waited and we waited and then we tried to open the door and then we just like couldn't you know i'm at the front of the line yeah and i just thought that you were at the end of the line you know because you you were the kind of you know kid that would be like if somebody didn't get in line you would tell me or you would go get that girl and say hey come on let's go we're leaving so, you know, we get all the way down to the door, and then the, the girls start to, like, disperse, and I'm trying to keep track of where they all are because, you know, there are parents showing up trying to find their kids. And then, like, we just somehow managed to open the door. Like, we finally, like, our hands aren't slippery enough anymore, and they're, like, dry, and we can finally open the door. And so I'm distracted by the girls just kind of all spreading out in all different directions. And I just remember, like, going up to you. And I was like, you didn't see me. I was gone. <laughs> you didn't miss me. And then you come running up. And you're like, Mom. I was like, oh, oh, sorry. I didn't know you were gone. All right, quick break, BRB. We're back with more mom tent. That's mom content. Motherhood is fierce. Okay, sometimes in a survival way, like this surge of adrenaline that makes it possible for a mother to fight off an actual mountain lion that has attacked her kid in her own backyard, which I saw 
I believe, on one of those TVs that's always on in the airport where it's not even a channel, just like a TV. And the story did not say, like, where the mom was. Just, mom wrestles mountain lion with her own two hands, saves her kid's life. And that's amazing. And sometimes it is about that. Sometimes it's about ripping a mountain lion off your kid. And sometimes it's not so much about the survival of your child who is trapped in the jaws of a big cat. It is more just about someone has fudged with our kids and we're going to get revenge. My brother had been on a study abroad trip in Asia uh, for the entire summer, one summer, And it happened to be the same summer we decided to sell our childhood home and move into what would be their retirement home. So my mom, um, ever the thrifty (laughs) woman, she decided to hold multiple estate sales to get rid of all of our stuff. And they took place inside our home. Um, People were just coming in and trying to, you know, buy our stuff. Um, My brother's room, it was just his closet that was closed off. People were allowed to go in there and buy certain things, but she had deliberately closed his closet doors, you know, to show that it wasn't for sale. And um, she found out at some point that Justin, my brother's shirts were gone, that somebody had stole them. So (laughs) she started basically a summer-long investigation to find out who had been stealing his clothes. What she would do is she'd go to all these estate sales and garage sales um, in our neighborhood and try to find the perpetrator um, who, you know, he probably was frequenting other garage sales and estate sales and stealing things. And she found the guy. He was, like, I think a teenage boy, you know, a young adult, I think, and um, she <laughs> actually found out where he lived. And then she really went to town. She um, started signing him up for magazines. Um, she put in requests for any religious, free religious reading. Um, she would start to mail those to his house. She also had a, a mild diet Mountain Dew obsession. And so she usually had at least a few empty cans in her car. So she would hoard them and um, throw him in his yard on her way home from work. So um, she felt proud, or at least that she had, you know, vindicated her son uh, by the time he came back from his study abroad trip. Uh, She didn't have any shirts. uh, She didn't reclaim any of them, but she had one hell of a story for, you know, her act of retribution. I love that. A petty crime deserves a petty response. That's a keeper. I need that tattooed on my body, probably like in one of my arms. My fist. I specifically remember in fourth grade, I had a terrible case of pink eye, and it required my mom having to come to my school almost every day to put in these massive eye drops that I'm still scarred by today. From what I remember, one day, these bullies were picking on me. I don't know what triggered it, but all I remember is that these two boys, one kicked me, and then one put something in his lunchbox and, like, whacked me with it. And some people thought it was funny, and I just remember not 
being in the greatest mood when I showed up to see my mom. And so she gave me the eye drops and I happened to mention like, oh, these boys like picked on me when like kind of kicked me when hit me with their lunchbox. And then all of a sudden she just stormed into our classroom and just told the teacher that she needed to talk to some people. I didn't really know what was happening, even though I just had told her what happened and she completely freaked out on the two guys. I've never seen these boys more scared in their life. And I was so embarrassed in the moment. But looking back, I'm just really grateful that my mom had her freak out on them and not me. So not all the people who want to be mothers get to be mothers. I see you. Um, Not all the mothers who are mothers even want to be mothers, and I see you too. Some of our mothers were terrible. Some were wonderful, and they died. I see all of you. Some of us have lost children, pregnancies. It's That's a loss that is unimaginable for the rest of us, not because we can't picture it, Oh, we can picture it. We just don't want to. We don't want to. It's a hurt we cannot imagine surviving. And you have. And you are. And I see you too. I have had three miscarriages since October. And I'm not sure if I'll ever be able to become a mother. Um, There doesn't seem to be a good reason for them. If there ever is one. I so badly hope that I can share memories of my terrible parenting with you one day, but for now, I'm just sad, and I'm wishing Mother's Day wouldn't come. Uh, I am 31. My dad, who was really the rock of our family, passed away last February, and I've really been the emotional support for my mom as she grieves the loss of her husband. She does have obsessive-compulsive disorder, so that just adds a whole extra layer of anxiety and depression on top of her grief. And I've said a couple times that I feel like she's my child. I feel like the roles have reversed. I am always checking on her, and I spend every Sunday night with her. Um, And whenever we talk, which is every day, at the end of the conversation, I hang up and think she did not even ask how I was doing. Like, I don't think I even spoke. It's all her. So with Mother's Day coming up, it's a little bittersweet for me because I want to honor my mom and all that she did for me growing up. I mean, (laughs) what I'm doing for her now doesn't compare to the sacrifices that she and my dad made for me as a child. Um... But I'm also like, (laughs) I spend every day honoring my mom and caring for her and going out of my way to support her. So Mother's Day is almost like, I I don't, this is going to make me sound like a really bad person, but Mother's Day is almost like, I don't really need another day to talk about my mom. (laughs) I was 13 weeks pregnant when I found out that I was going to have a DNC. 
because of medical problems and complications. And a week later, I was sitting in an office and a social worker was telling me of all the days that might be hard for me. And one of the days she said was Mother's Day and I probably wouldn't have even thought about it. But now I'm kind of terrified of the day coming up and um oh sorry yeah I'm terrified of the day coming up because I don't want to be sad on that day I'd rather be happy and celebrate my mother and my mother's mother and my dad's mother and all the other mothers in my life but after the DNC, it's crazy how the body, you, you could be carrying a live thing in your body for 14 weeks and have it taken out and you don't physically feel any different. But emotionally, you're torn up inside. So this year is my first Mother's Day as a mother. It's also my first Mother's Day without a child. My son Aaron died last year after seven whole weeks of life in the neonatal ICU. So this Mother's Day, I hope we can all remember to acknowledge the mothers like me, the ones who are still mothers, but don't have a child to hold. But I realize, Nora, that you are looking for more lighthearted stories, so I'll give you one. In the NICU, the nurses monitor a baby's weight very closely. So every time Aaron pooped, we would weigh his diaper to see how much he lost. One time, his diaper weighed 5% of his body weight. So needless to say, we were really proud of our son that day. In high school, when I was a teenager, I had a classic falling out with my mom. We absolutely hated each other, couldn't stand each other. And it was really beautiful to turn to my stepmom, and she really supported me in that time where I had this rebellious relationship with my mom, even though she was so far away. And in my relationship with my stepmom, I was able to get things that I wasn't getting from my mom. And so as I was going through college, I, you know, sort of had this moment where I was like, oh my gosh, like, which mom is better? Which one better supports me? Which one do I like better? And the answer was neither. I don't have to choose. And that's the beautiful thing about people is that people can fill certain things in your life and they can be certain people to you, but they don't have to do everything. And having two moms and realizing that parents are people too, and each person has their strengths and their weaknesses is a really beautiful lesson that I got from my relationships with my moms. And I think that go divorce because I got two great moms out of it and I don't have to choose which one is better. And that's beautiful. There are two moms I cannot not think about today. One is my mother-in-law, Sherry, 
who lost her son, Michael. And one is my mother-in-law, Kim, who lost her son, Aaron, who was my first husband. And unbeknownst to me, even as I listened to the voicemail and failed to recognize her voice because she wasn't using her sunny, sweet Maymay voice, Kim called into this show, and this is her, and I love you. Hi. I am many things. I'm a daughter, a sister, an auntie, a friend, a wife, a mother, a stepmother, and a grandmother. I love being a mother. It's my favorite thing. Happy Mother's Day to all you beautiful mothers out there. As a mother, I had a boy, Aaron, and a girl, Nicole. I was the mother of two, and now I'm the mother to one. Since I lost my son four years ago, a part of me is missing, lost, gone. I am sad. So how does one move forward from this kind of loss? How to find joy in this strange place without him? Because it feels strange. Believe me, the world has forever changed. He filled up the world with laughter and love. And now I shout out, where are you, my darling boy? I wake up with tears streaming down my cheeks less often now. I love it when I dream about him. Even if it makes me sad, it makes me happy at the same time. He's there running and dancing and laughing. God, I miss that laugh. I'm learning where to find him and how to feel real joy. When I'm very still or when I'm surrounded by people at the airport or when I'm outside in nature, walking at the labyrinth or hiking, especially at a yoga class, he's here in my heart with me all the time, all the time. When I'm with my beautiful daughter or with my funny, amazing grandchildren, my sisters, my girlfriends, my family, my loving and supportive husband, we talk of Aaron all the time. We keep his spirit with us. I loved being a mom to him and Nicole, and I still am. My daughter is the best. No, she really is. And my stepdaughter, Erica, she's great. And my daughter-in-law, you might know her. Her name is Nora. Well, she is my family too. She's my daughter too. And I love them all to pieces. Right before Aaron died, I said to him, how will I live without you? What will I do? The words just came out and I was feeling so lost. He looked at me like I had asked the silliest question ever. He took my hand and he said, you will keep doing what you've always done. You'll keep being you, just like always. And be here for Ralphie. Just keep on loving, Mom. It's going to be okay. For me, that was like the best gift anyone could have ever given me at that moment. He gave me permission to live a happy life. I come back to those words often. I am still myself. It just changed. There's more compassion, a bit more kindness and caring. Somehow it's okay, just like he told me. Love wins. Thank you.
happy or sad or no Mother's Day at all to all of you. It's mostly a made-up holiday, and I personally will be spending mine without my children doing a live event. I will be hanging out with authors slash mothers Lori Gottlieb, Mary Laura Philpot, Mira Jacobs, and Annika Fajardo at the Loft Wordplay Festival here in Minneapolis. So see you there. Thank you so much to everyone who shared their stories and their mom's stories. We didn't have room to include everything, but we loved hearing all of them. Thank you especially to Angie, Anne, Becky, Brittany, Kaylin, Janelle, Jen, Jenna, Jennifer, Kim, Kyla, Maddie, Maya, Megan, Nicolola, Norma, Sarah, Susan, Taylor, Tess, and Zoe. We'll be back in two weeks, but if you really miss me, you can download my new book, No Happy Endings, on audiobook because I read it out loud, which is what an audiobook is. So go do that, I guess. This has been terrible. Thanks for asking. I'm Nora. Hans Buto is our senior producer. Marcel Malikibu is our assistant producer. Hannah Meacock-Ross is a lot of stuff. Does a lot. Gotta think of a snappy title for her. Technically, it's project manager, but it really could be anything. She's our everything. And Jordan Turgeon, who does a lot for us as well. You can find me online and Instagram at Nora Borealis. Our theme music is by Joffrey Wilson. And we are a production of American Public Media.